Well, good morning, church. It is good to see you here this morning, and I want to tell you that I love Sunday mornings. Uh, I love you, and I love being with you, and I love being with everyone who is participating, the hundreds of people that are participating online with us right now. But one of the reasons I love Sunday mornings isn't just because I get to spend time with you. You know how much I love that. But it's the fact that we get to share this story with each other. This story, every week, come together, sing these songs, say these prayers, read these scriptures, remind ourselves about the story we are a part of, because it's very easy to lose sight of what story we're a part of. And that's one of the reasons I love this series that we're doing right now so very much, because I believe that some of these songs that, unfortunately, we we kind of limit to this time of year, but some of these songs are so rich in the story that they're telling. They're so biblically rich in telling the story so well that we are a part of this story about our Savior King. Savior King. I like to hyphenate it like that. Savior King. And we have this ingrained, this ingrained longing for a Savior King, don't we? And we can see this longing that we have in lots of different ways. This longing that we have for someone to come and to defeat all of the bad guys and rally all of the good guys, to rally everybody and to say, come on, let's go, and to defeat the bad guys and to fix all that's broken and to make everything okay. We have this longing for a savior king, and we can see that in lots of different ways. One of the ways that we see our longing kind of come out is during political seasons, not just this political season that we're in right now, but every political season that rolls around. We see this longing, don't we? And I imagine it's true not just in the United States, but all over the world, that every time a political season rolls around, somebody new comes to office, and there's half of the people that say, everything's coming to an end, it's all broken, this is all horrible, and others say, no, 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 this is the beginning of something new, something wonderful, something great. And you can see that longing that's ingrained in us. I don't know if it's in our DNA or what, but we have this longing for a savior, someone to rally the good guys is broken. We even see it in things that are are not quite so serious, even things like sports, don't we? We see something broken in our team and we long for a new owner or a new manager or a new coach or a new team captain or a new quarterback, somebody to rally the troops, to defeat the other teams, to lead us to victory, to fix all that's broken. And we think if we could just get get a new owner or just get a new coach or just get a new GM or just get a new whatever... Somebody to rally all the good guys and defeat all the bad guys and lead us to victory and fix all that's broken. Or, or sometimes we, we, we think that, you know, maybe there's no, there's no real savior king. Maybe, maybe that's all just a pipe dream. And so we, we kind of retreat to a world of fiction sometimes, don't we? To novels, to TV shows, to movies. But you can even see our longing there, can't you? in the characters that we are drawn to, in the characters that we create, someone to come in and to rally the good guys, to defeat the bad guys, to lead us to victory, and to fix everything that's broken. We see it in politics. 
We see it in sports, we see it in entertainment, in movies, and books. We see it everywhere we turn. Why? Because ingrained in us, deeply ingrained in humanity, save your king. Because we recognize that there are things that are broken. Deeply, deeply broken. We look at our world and we say there are things that are broken in the world. We wish that we could fix it, but we know that we can't. And so we long for somebody to come and to rally the good guys, to defeat the bad guys, to lead us to victory, to fix all that's broken in the world. We see that brokenness in the world. We see that brokenness in our community. We see that brokenness in our relationships with each other. We see that brokenness even in ourselves. In our own heart, and our own mind, we see brokenness. And so every time we turn around, in every area of our life, you can see this longing, this longing for someone not just to to save us like a one-time thing, but somebody to fix us, somebody to rule over us, somebody to come and make everything okay. But we have to be very careful because we have that in Jesus, don't we? We have that in Jesus. That's what we come to proclaim every week and we remind ourselves of every day that we have that in Jesus. So we have to be very careful that we don't attach ourselves to a different story. So here, let me give you some examples of things that are not our story, but we, we might is not a self-help story. Our story is not a self-help story. But sometimes we get drawn to a self-help story, a story of saying, if I just had the right formula, if I just had the right steps, if I just had the right strategy, if I just had the right recipe, then all of this brokenness in me and in my relationships and maybe even in the world could get fixed. If somebody would just give me the right secrets, then if I just had the right secrets, I could pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I could save myself and I could help myself. In fact, just yesterday... I saw someone comment, and they were talking about how, oh, I don't really give much thought to the afterlife because for me, the Bible is just a really good self-help book, and Jesus is the ultimate self-help guru. And I thought, oh, no. That's exactly what we have to avoid. Jesus didn't come to be a self-help guru Jesus didn't didn't come to just reveal to us a certain set of secrets or a certain set of steps or a certain formula to say, if you just knew this and just did this, you could help yourself. That's not our story. But if we're not careful, we get drawn to a self-help story or maybe even to a story about a hero, a, a flawed hero or a mortal hero. Another story that we might get drawn to is this flaw isn't perfect, but man... Oh, I think they're going to make everything good. They're going to come in. They're going to rally all the good guys, defeat all the bad guys, lead us to victory, and fix what is broken. We, we do that not just with individuals. We do that with political parties. We do that with nations. We do that with ideas, ideologies, technologies. We, we think this technology or this idea or this party, or this country, or this whatever. It's not perfect, but it's so good, and it's so close. And if we just had this, and we just promoted this, and this thing just had its day in the sunshine, then it could rally the good guys and defeat the bad guys and lead us to victory and fix what's broken. If we're not careful, 
If we're not careful, we will anchor our hope and our joy to some hero we're looking for. Some hero that some individual or some group or some movement or some ideology or some technology and we'll think this is our story. This is what's going to make everything okay. This is what's going to bring our happily ever after. Or or we might also be drawn to stories about escape. We might say, well, there really is no hope. There is no hope that the things that are broken are just too broken. And then we just really have to escape. And so if we're not careful, we, we, we turn our life into a series of escapes, don't we? And we just kind of escape into fiction. We just kind of escape into comfort. We just kind of escape into entertainment. And ultimately, we hope for just an escape in the end. And, and maybe it's all just going to, you know, just take me away, Lord. Take me away and just destroy everything that's broken. Ours isn't that either. Ours isn't a, a self-help story or a flawed hero story or an escape story. Our, our story is a story of divine intervention. Not your intervention and not the intervention of any individual or group or technology or ideology or movement. Ours is a story of divine intervention and, and divine redemption. God is the only one who can fix it. And he will. And he is. In fact, this is how we might put the gospel story. All that is broken is being and will be fixed through the redemptive work of Jesus. That is our story. That is our story. All that is broken. All that is broken is being and will be fixed through the redemptive work of Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, but that's what we talk about every these prayers that we pray and this breaking of the bread and drinking of the cup is to remind us this is the story that we are a part of so that we don't get attached to these other stories and anchor our hope in ourselves or anchor our hope in others or anchor our hope in nothing and just want to escape it all. This is the story that we're a part of, that all that is broken is being and will be fixed through the redemptive work of King Jesus. And so this morning we, we think about this song, Joy to the World, and we sing this song and we think about this song because this is how the world responds when God becomes king. And after all, that, that's where the brokenness comes from, doesn't it? All the brokenness that we see and all the brokenness that we try to create stories around, all of that broken, brokenness came from and exists because humanity rejected the rule and the reign of God. And the only thing that can bring healing and redemption is for humanity to be brought back under the rule and reign of God. So this song that we sing, Joy to the World, is the response of the world when God becomes king. So look at the lyrics. Joy, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. You see, Savior, King, Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. 
while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Let men their songs employ, right? Let all of us sing this song, but then also let the creation join us in song. Let the entire nature, let all nature join us in this song because this is what is going to fix the brokenness. God becoming king. This is the problem. This is why brokenness exists because we rejected the rule and the reign of God and the only thing that can fix the brokenness is for God to be king. So when God comes to be king, this is the response. In fact, when Isaac Watts was inspired to write this song, he wrote it as a commentary on Psalm 98. Psalm 98 and joy to the world go hand in hand. Look at Psalm 98. This is the psalm that inspired this song. He has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What I love about the Psalms is the word celebrating and the word anticipating. And the Psalms are filled with those two ideas, both celebrating the salvation of God and anticipating the salvation of God. So does this Psalm celebrate God's salvation, what he has done, or does it anticipate God's salvation, what he will do? And the answer is yes. It's both, right? It's both. And this idea that all the nations, not just Israel, not just Israel, will see the salvation of God. That the nations, that all the people groups of the world will see how good he is, how righteous he is, that the world will be brought under the rule and reign of Yahweh. That day is coming, was coming, and that is what this psalm celebrates and anticipates. So the psalmist says, verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, praises, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord, the King, the Lord. See, it's anticipating God's rule and reign. This is the way that God saves. This is the way that God redeems. This is the way that God fixes what is broken. The brokenness that exists in me exists because I reject God's rule and reign. The brokenness that exists in you, the brokenness that exists in our community, the brokenness that exists in our world, the brokenness that exists in creation, the thorns and thistles and every bit of brokenness in the world is a direct or more likely an indirect result of humanity rejecting the rule and reign of God. And this is the way that God saves, is to bring people back under his care, back under his rule, back under his reign, to be over them as king. And so the psalmist says, make a joyful noise. Let men their songs employ, but not just men, also the the creation, nature. Let the entire world rejoice. Look at verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers together, 
before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Sometimes when we think about God's judgment, we think that's a bad thing. Nothing could be further from the truth. God's judgment is a good thing. It's a good thing. Especially, especially for those of us that belong to him. For his people who are forgiven by his grace and by his mercy, God's judgment is a good thing. And God's judgment means the setting of everything right making everything right. Now, for the the wicked and the rebellious and those who stubbornly refuse to allow God to rule and reign over them, is it a pleasant thing? No, of course not. Of course not. But for those that would submit to him and for all creation, God's judgment is a good thing because it means everything is going to be set Right, everything is going to be redeemed because this is where it all went wrong, didn't it? Do you remember? We we have these two stories that kind of go hand in hand that illustrate this. In the very beginning of Genesis, you have the creation story and you have Adam and Eve who decided that they wanted their story to want to possess the knowledge of good and evil and they took hold of it and grasped it for themselves, wanting to be like God and know what God knows and be able to do what God does and reject his rule and reign. And so they seized it for themselves. And then all of the brokenness in themselves, in their relationship between one another and their relationship even with the ground itself, everything was broken. And then do you remember how the same thing happened in Israel? Do you remember Israel, the people of Israel, were brought into the promised land, into Canaan? And did they have a king when they went into the promised land? Yes, and his name was Yahweh, right? Yahweh was their king. He was supposed to be their king. But they said, no, 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 no thanks. We want a flawed hero story. We we want a king like everybody else has a king. And they wanted Saul or someone like Saul to be their king. And did that cause brokenness? Of course it does. When we reject the rule and the reign of God, it causes everything to be broken. And the only way for things to be set right is for God to be the king. And when God reigns as king, everything begins to be set right. And so we sing joy to the world earth receive her king this is the way things get set right in humanity and in all of creation and I love the third verse of joy to the world we just sang it a minute ago it says this no more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. That word is powerful, isn't it? Curse. And that's really what happened, isn't it? When humanity rejected the rule and reign of God, there was a curse, not just on them, but even on the ground itself. It broke relationships with God. It broke relationships with each other. It broke the whole creation, thorns and thistles. And in Jesus' first coming, 
in his first advent, his first appearing, he begins to make all of this right, doesn't he? He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He begins to make all things right. How? By forgiving us of our sins. By all of those to him, our sins are atoned for, taken away, cleansed, and we become forgiven people. And then he gives us his spirit to begin to change us, to make us new creation, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, all of us who are in Christ Jesus are new creation. He begins to change everything, beginning with you and me. And then in his second coming, everything that is still broken will be purged and set right. This is our joy and this is our hope. This is our story. Look at Romans chapter 8 because I think it illustrates what we're talking about really well. Romans chapter 8 and verse 8. Paul writes, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Paul says, you've already begun to be set right, to be fixed by the spirit who lives within you. You're not just, you're not just flesh. You are, you're still in your body, but you're more than that. And you don't walk in the flesh. You don't do just what you feel like doing or what you want to do, but you've been changed. You're, you're being transformed and sanctified by the spirit who's in you. This work of God setting everything right has already begun. This isn't just a future thing. It's a present thing for those who walk by the Spirit. This longing that we have that says, God, I need someone to set it right. I need someone to fix what is broken. And I'm tempted to trust in this or trust in that or to trust in this person or trust in that person or to trust in myself. Never be fixed. The answer is Jesus. Who will set us free from this this cycle of sin and death, it's Jesus. And he's already begun. He's already begun to do this good work in you by giving you his spirit. And if you walk by the spirit, then you are no longer in the flesh and you're no longer trapped in this cycle of sin and death. The fixing, the redeeming has already begun in you. And so we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. For all those of us who have received him as king and have been cleansed by his blood, and have received his spirit, that fixing that the spirit is doing has already begun in you. But do you see, if you accept the wrong story, if you're drawn to the wrong story, if you embrace the wrong story, and you say, well, yeah, it's just, it's me. I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I got to work harder. He's given me the, the recipe, but I've got to do it. That's the wrong story. It's rejoice because it's what he's doing in you. Does that mean you don't have to participate? Of course not. But it's his story. 
It's his work. It's his. This is a savior help story. This is a Jesus help story. This is a divine intervention story that you can't do it just by having the right secrets, just by having the right steps, just by having the right formula. Jesus isn't a self-help guru. He gives you his spirit because you can't do it without his spirit. And it's, and it's not a story. And we have to be careful to avoid Stories that say, well, if I just embrace this ideology or if I just embrace this person or I just embrace this party or if this country or this technology or this whatever has its day, then it will save us. Nope. And it's not an escape story that says it's all just too broken. It's not too broken. Jesus has already begun to set all things right and he's begun in you. And that redemption and that fixing has already begun. But there's still more for which we're hoping. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, he says that there's still more redeeming to be done. I mean, he's not done with you yet. You're still, you're still in the flesh. You still are in this body. Your body is still mortal. And you will be raised to life. And that raising hasn't happened yet. Still hoping for that. We're still looking for that. But that day will come too. Just as the first day has come, the second day will come as well. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, joy to the world. The Lord is come. He's already begun to fix us and to set us free. And that if we will walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, then we can put to death the things of the flesh, this fear and pride and self-indulgence and covetousness and greed and violence and all of these things that that are the brokenness of humanity. We can say, I'm done with all of that because something has changed. Something has already changed. We live A.D. in the year of our Lord. The Lord is come. He's reigning now. His redemption and his fixing have already begun. His new creation has already been started in you. If the Spirit lives in you, then walk by the Spirit. Don't go back to living by the flesh. If you do, you're going to die. There's no hope in that kind of life of self-indulgence, fear and covetousness, all the, the broken things that you turned away from. Don't go back to slavery. You've been set free from all of that stuff, that cycle of sin and death. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are. I love that, don't you? We are children of God. Not we will be children of God, but we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see it has both? In that one passage right there, it has both. Both the joy and the hope. Both the joy of what is and the hope of what will be. 
The joy is you are already sons of God. You are already children of God. And the hope is that you are heirs. An heir is somebody who's still waiting for something, right? So you have, and there's still something that is yet to come. You are children and you're also heirs. And if you're willing to suffer with Christ, if you're willing to suffer with Christ, then you will also be glorified with him. In Jesus' first coming, he brought salvation, sanctification, and spirit. And in his second coming, he brings glorification for those who are willing to wait, be patient, hope, and suffer. Yes, suffer with him. But I'm afraid so many times we've, we've lost the patience to suffer because we've forgotten the significance of hope. We've forgotten the significance of hope. That all that we will have and all be. And so if we're willing to suffer with him, then we will also be glorified with him. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation itself is waiting to be set free. The creation is waiting to be redeemed. It's waiting in hope. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I love that phrase, the first fruits. First fruits. Sometimes we think first fruits means the best. It doesn't mean the best. It just means the first, the first of what is to come. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, and there's more to come. So we rejoice in what we have, we rejoice in what is, and we hope for what is to come. And he says in verse 24, for in this hope we are saved, not for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, what church? Patience. Patience. Hope. Wait. Patience. This hopeful, patient waiting has to be a key part of our theology. If it's not, we will adopt a different story. If patient Hopeful waiting is not key to our theology. We will adopt a self-help story. We will find some other hero to come and save the day. Or we will just be escapists that say there is no fixing it. I just, I'm just waiting to escape. But if we wait with patient, hopeful longing, we can adopt this story that we are part of waiting for God to set all things right. So here's what I want to encourage us this morning to do. Rejoice in what is and hope in what is to come. Rejoice in what is. Rejoice in what is. This new creation has already begun in you. You are new creation. The spirit of God lives in you. You have been saved, forgiven, 
redeemed, set free, given the spirit of freedom, how we avoid fear and despair and anger and pride and self-indulgence, rejoicing in this and hoping in this. We must anchor our joy about what is and our hope about what is to come in Jesus rather than in ourselves or in others or even in escape. We anchor our joy and our hope in Jesus, believing that all that is broken is being and will be fixed through the redemptive work of Jesus. This is how we embrace the right story, the true story, the good news of Jesus. This is what we're doing when we're baptized, isn't it? When we're baptized, we're stepping into this this new story and saying, I'm done accepting a story, embracing a story of self-help. I can't do it. I can't be smart enough or strong enough or good enough. I can't. I can't save myself. And we stop trusting in others and other people and other things and other ideas to save us. And we give up the, the despair and the hopelessness of escapism. And we say, Jesus is and will fix everything. And we surrender our loyalty and allegiance to him. And we are brought back under the rule and reign of God. And he, begin, he begins to set everything right first in us and later in all things. And that's what we are hoping for. So if we can help you this morning with your joy or with your hope, if we can encourage you, if we can walk with you, if we can help you in any way, one of our shepherds would love to meet with you at the information desk as together we stand and sing this next song.